Welcome to the Locum Strategist Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Parsons, and this is the show where we help physicians take control of their skill set and create a life on their own terms by using Locum Tenens as a way to make that happen. On this episode, I have a very special guest that truly embodies what this show is about. He has used Locum Tenens work to experience communities and work cultures all across the United States. He works when and where he wants without the burnout and overworking that so many healthcare professionals face. He's also used locum tenens to pay off all of his student loans in less than three years, and he's the creator of the Nomadic Pediatrician blog, where he documents his incredible journey. Dr. Trevor Cabrera, how are you doing today? I'm great, Simon. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited to hear more about your journey. So I gave a glimpse into where you are now, But what I'd love to ask you about is like, how did you end up on this path? I'd love to hear maybe some backstory about medical school and what got you on this path and uh, making some of the choices that you do right now. Yeah, you know, I, it is so interesting. I, sometimes people still ask me like why I decided to be a doctor. And I think it has, you have to go back to that route sometimes when you're figuring out how you end up at this point. And other times, you know, you just end up somewhere and then you don't really know how that happens. Um, you know, I think like a lot of people and went into medical school thinking I want to help people, save people at XYZ. Um, I liked science. I was fascinated with all those things like a lot of people were. Um, after medical school, I got interested in uh, the, the field of pediatrics because I felt that kids had a lot of clean slates, that they weren't at fault for anything they did. And it really was kind of, I think, the passion and motivation that got me into medicine. But, you know, I think one way that <clears throat> one way that a lot of people now um, think of the, the path is really towards like the end goal. I mean, we, you know, you go to school and you just think, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to go to school. And you accept at some point that training is going to take over at least 10 years of your life. And so you go through those different steps. And then after your residency training, you, you hit that point where all of a sudden you're done and you finally got to the end of the road, so to speak. And at that point, it's kind of like your life just starts to is just beginning. And um, for some people, I think they have uh, very uh, clear goals on what's going to happen after that. But I would venture guess that myself, along with many others out there now, um, we get to a point where we get there and we actually don't know what comes after that. So for me, um, going through pediatric residency, uh, you know, I, I had to think about uh, during training what I liked and also what I wanted to do afterwards. Um, I learned very quickly that there were things that I did like and did not like. And by that, I mean certain specialties. Uh, I, I did not like working in clinics. I liked working in the hospital. And it kind of gave me like an unclear idea of what I wanted to do when I was done. Um, and so when I was in my second or third year of residency, I had heard about this thing called locum tenens. Um, an agency had come to talk to our program and I didn't really quite know much about what it was, but then I got to that, um, you know, proverbial kind of end of the road when I was about to graduate residency. And because I didn't have a clear idea of where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do, and I had this enormous, uh, mortgage, uh, of a debt hanging over my head, I went back to those, uh, that conversation about locum tenens and kind of thought a little bit more about it. And uh, really, after that, just dive, dove like headfirst straight into it. So I, I think that's kind of uh, where it starts. Um, and, uh, you know, I think when I look back, I don't, 
I don't think I would have done anything different and I'm glad I went that way. Did you, uh, so have you been doing straight locums since you've graduated residency? Yeah. Um, and, uh, so when I graduated residency in uh, July of 2020, I decided immediately to do just straight locums, um, only locums. Uh, I didn't even have a part-time permanent job and I actually honestly took a huge risk. Um, particularly for me when I finished residency was right in the middle of COVID and ironically in the pediatric population, uh, in the pediatric world, there was less uh, patients and there were less jobs during COVID. While people saw the adult uh, side of medicine explode and all the news reports of all the um, catastrophic things that happened with adults, kids stayed home. They didn't go around other kids and get sick. Um, and when they were healthy, they weren't taken to the doctor just to, because I think parents wanted to avoid taking their kid to a place that there were other sick kids. And long story short, um, while the field of locum tenens traditionally has more needs and more demand and supply of providers during COVID, it was the reverse. And so, uh, when I finished, not only was I a new graduate, I'd just been a, become a new attending. Not only was I trying to figure out from a clinical space where I was and how I was going to practice and the autonomy of, um, medical decision-making, but I also was trying to navigate a job market that was slighted totally against me. Um, I mean, during that time, there were outpatient pediatricians that went, um, uh, that actually um, went uh, bankrupt and had to close their practices because the volumes dropped so much. So when I finished, when I was looking into locum jobs, instead of me being one uh, physician looking through 20 jobs, I was one of 20 physicians, like basically battling it out for one job. And so I'll tell you that when I did that, I took some strategic risks financially in order to make that happen. Um, I had I intentionally saved up enough money to allow myself to float by for um, a, a couple of months. Um, and then actually, uh, and this is something I think that took a lot of, well, I think it took some guts. Um, because of the paucity, I think is the only word I can use to accurately describe it. But because of the paucity of work, I actually lived paycheck to paycheck for several months after finishing residency. I mean, imagine that like being a brand new attending doctor. I've got friends that graduated and they doubled their um, resident salary. Some of them maybe tripled it. I don't know. And I am there living month to month off of these, uh, these small jobs. Um, and at my first job, one thing I did was I intentionally, the way it works with locums is you can work on negotiating your rate. And at my very first job, I intentionally went in at the lower rate. And what happened was I beat out all the other providers because I was the cheapest, right? They hired me, they got to like me, and then we went up on the rate, but they kept me. And that actually was one of the big first moves I did. I took one step back to make two steps forward. And, um, you know, all to be said that when I decided to go straight into locums, yeah, I, that's, I decided to commit fully to doing it. Um, I was all in and it got to some points where it was a little um, unclear. I mean, after six or seven months of being paycheck to paycheck, but still having loan payments to make, um, I wasn't really sure if I was going to make it, but I held the course. Um, I just committed that I'm going to go all in for this. And by about February of 2021, about was that uh, maybe eight, nine months after I graduated um, or 
maybe a little bit less than that, uh, I, the job started to recover and I started getting more uh, jobs that stack on one, of another, one another and I was able to completely let loose. Dr. Cabrera, I want to hear the story about how you paid off your student loans using locum tenens work. I, um, I love talking about uh, paying off loans and I love talking about um, that part of, uh, that part of the um, sacrifice that we make when we go into medicine. Um, you know, I, I have to start by saying in the United States, uh, the average uh, student loans that people will take on from going to medical school are somewhere between, I believe I've heard anywhere between three hundred and five hundred thousand dollars um, and that is not that is assuming uh, not even undergraduate loans or anything like that. So for me, when I graduated from residency, um, I had about three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars in loans, uh, which is a significant amount given that is probably double the average salary for most general pediatricians which is what I was trained to do right out of residency. Um, now, once again, that's a difference of being in the clinic versus in the hospital, but to not digress, I think one of the biggest uh, pieces of advice, which is passed along to everybody now, and I think people become much more cognizant of it. Uh, there's online um, blogs and online uh, conversations all the time about this on, on more, uh, more financial literacy than there was before. But one thought that has kind of gone into the medical community is this idea that when you're finished with residency, you need to live like a resident for a number of years. And um, it's very easy to get caught up in this crazy situation where, I mean, general pediatricians, when we finish residency, our salary does not, um, does not multiply as much as some specialties like surgery, but it still grows a lot. And you're growing from a five-figure salary into like these crazy six-figure salaries and what happens is people will grow into it really quickly. I think that's like a common sense kind of statement, right? So for me, number one, I did the common thing, which is I live like a resident. Um, I try not to eat out too much. I was fairly cheap about things. I also got to a point where I didn't need a lot. But the things that made me different and the things that really carved out um, my, uh, I guess, my own... Um, my own name that I gave myself as the nomadic pediatrician was that in February of 2021, when I did start to get more consistent locum work and I was no longer living paycheck to paycheck, I actually canceled my lease for my apartment. I sold 80, 90% of everything I had. Um, I put some things back in storage at my mom's house in California. And then I got one and a half suitcases and as little as I needed and I started to travel and do locums work nonstop. When I was still living in my apartment, I would um, work somewhere along the lines of a couple days, a week or month, and I would commute from my apartment to the job. Uh, if the job was not near my apartment, I might stay in the hotel in that little town for that stretch, but then I would always come back to that apartment. What I did though instead in February was I start started on this path of working jobs that would began to tail themselves uh, to one another. And so from February, 2021, excuse me, February, 2021 until July of 2023, I worked jobs tail to tail. 
I stack them one after another. And by doing that, if you think about the savings from an apartment, I mean, I think right there, I saved at least $20,000, $25,000, depending on, you know, I guess your rent, because um, I wasn't paying for rent. Uh, on top of that, locum agencies were uh, reimbursing me um, and paying for my hotel stays, my uh, rental car, my airfare. So I had no expenses there either. I mean, just when you think about how much you're saving from that standpoint alone, it's absolutely um, ridiculous, I guess. So I, I wasn't making car payments. I wasn't paying for gas. Um, and without rent and everything, the main things that I paid for were really food and whatever I wanted to do for fun, right? Um, and so ultimately, I found that not only did the salary that I made just as a pure hourly difference as a locum versus uh, a permanent provider, not only was that uh, largely, uh, you know, hugely different, but on top of that, I was just wasn't spending very much. So during those couple of years, I, uh, I did the math and I spent about 8 to 10% of my entire salary on anything. That's including my disability insurance. That's including my um, car insurance, which you still have to have if you're renting. But considering all that, only 8 to 10% of my entire income was spent on those things. And that income was much more than a general pediatrician because of the nature of it being locum tenens work in the first place. So when you put all that together, I was making more and I was spending less than anybody else. And when you do that, I mean, I think that's what we all strive for, right? When you do that and you have priorities of where you do want to put that extra um, money um it can really work out pretty nicely. So I decided to direct all of it towards my, well, I decided to direct all of my money towards first maxing out my retirement plan and then the the rest of it paying down my loan. And I actually did it um, to the point that, to be honest with you, I probably could have paid off my entire student loan within one or two years, but I decided to stretch it out for three years. <laughs> Big difference, right? But for three years, um, just so that I could uh, be smart and savvy about having some sort of, um, I guess, nest egg or something to fall back on. That is brilliant. So you're, you're making more money than you would have in a permanent job. You didn't have the expenses that a normal per person would have as far as housing and transportation. And you were able to max out your retirement accounts for those years and pay off your student loans within three years. Is that correct? That's correct. And then one thing that I um, definitely have to mention is that what people don't always realize is that the way the United States is um, established for our jobs and the way taxes work, you know, I, I think that foundationally, regardless of your, your own opinions or your beliefs on one side or the other, the government and the, ta and the IRS are set up to really... Um, uh, really reward people that do small business kind of endeavors. And what I'm trying to say by that is you are given a purely a higher allowance for savings if you're an independent contractor. I mean, and that was what I loved about it. I was an independent contractor. So unlike, you know, normally we talk about Roth, uh, Roth IRAs or 401ks, 
I was doing self-employment um, IRAs or, or solo 401ks, and those gave me the ability to also uh, kind of work some tax shelters um, in from a different angle. So that added even more depth to that, uh, that big differential there, that big delta, I would say, between my spending um, and earning. Yeah, that is brilliant. I mentioned this on a, a podcast episode recently about the self-employed pension and the single uh, a person 401k where you could put away, I think about $60,000 away up to 25% of your income. I am so glad to actually meet somebody who would max, max that out. I remember doing something similar earlier in my career. Now, uh, after you've gotten that paid off, I know you've got some, you've got a fellowship on the horizon, but financially, how are you setting yourself up now that you've You've paid off your loans so quickly. Most people probably take at least a decade to pay off their student loans. You've got that all taken care of. You've been putting money away. What else are you doing to set yourself up financially for success? And what's the reasoning by, behind it? I'm sure it has something to do with giving yourself flexibility and freedom in the future as well. Well, I think I got to a point of trying to redesign the box or the wheel that I think I'm inside of. I think we've talked before about this, but I think I got to a point where I'm not trying to think outside the box anymore. I got to a point of questioning whether there is a box. And that sounds so maybe silly and just metaphysical, but it really has been uh, the concept I'm living with. And so to make that more related to, you know, to answer that question, I think we were all set up to... Um, most traditionally, you know, you, you buy things, you're going to take on some credit or some debt for whatever you buy. You're going to slowly pay that back. For example, you get a car, you have car payments, you get a house, you've got mortgage payments. Um, and I think, you know, for most people, that's going to be what we have to do. Um, but by the way that I functioned as a locums um, with all of that saving, what I effectively ended up doing was I paid off those loans I ended up saving an equal amount. And then when it came towards me actually uh, settling into an apartment, which I'm in right now, as you can see, um, when I settled into an apartment for fellowship and I had to get a car, I bought it in cash. And so that was something that I'm not, I, I'm aware that not everybody may be um, capable of doing that right away. But I focused on those being my priorities. So instead of going farther into debt and having, you know, buying a house to just to have a house and, and, and really uh, offset my assets and my liabilities in that way, I focused a different direction. And so personally, I'm hoping to do that similar sort of thought. And that's how I try to think of my life and have money working for me, right? <laughs> as, as some people would say, versus uh, me working for money. Um, that's something that I'm trying to think about. So some ways that I'm setting myself up right now. Um, you're right. I am back in um, a fellowship to be a neonatologist now. Um, it's three years of fellowship. And I took about a 70 to 80% pay cut from being a locum tenens provider to coming back to training. There's a lot of questions I give people on whether or not that was a good idea and, you know, Short answer is, I don't know. I mean, I love what I do and that's why I'm here and it wasn't about the money. But one thing that I thought about was, hey, I put all this money into my SEP IRA, which is a you know non-taxed um, investment account right now. 
my tax bracket for this past year, because I did locums for a while and then came back to fellowship, is still fairly high. So converting it to a Roth or doing a backdoor is probably not the best idea. But, ah, you know, I have a good financial advisor, and plus or minus if you like to use one or work for yourself on it. Myself, um, I learn a lot from them, and it it helps me. I, I do stuff on my own, too, for fun. But... My financial advisor made a good point, which is, ah, you're taking that 80% pay cut for three years. So I put all that money into my SEP, and actually in 2025, I plan on doing a huge backdoor Roth because my tax bracket is going to be actually much lower then than it might actually be in 40 years. From now. I, I don't know. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting. That was an unintended, well, a little bit of an intentional, but also slightly unintended um uh, like sequelae of everything that just happened to line up. Um, I do think that, you know, the, um, the concept of investments is definitely something I'm still learning and I'm aware that I am, you know, still a novice at that, but I think that's definitely something that I think about more now. Um, so I, I guess the biggest way to sum that up is I would say, I think about money and its role and where I need to use it or what I want it to do for me much differently and much more now than I did several years ago. When I finished residency, my thought was, I want to pay off my loans in 10 years. Maybe I'll do the public service loan forgiveness. And then someone said, oh, I'm not doing that. And I thought they were stupid. I said, why aren't you doing loan forgiveness? And they said, you don't need loan forgiveness if you pay it off. And I thought, that's absolutely crazy. Why would I do that? And you look at the numbers and I realized, okay, I could do it. So when I finished residency in 2020, my thought was maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll have a good job. You know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go along the path that everyone has. I'll eventually get a car and maybe a house or maybe, I'll, you know, maybe I'll get married X, Y, Z. And I will um, not be a millionaire, but I will be comfortable and I will just go along with things. Now, 2023, I talked to my financial advisor like a couple months ago and I was like, hey, uh, Will, that's how I thought in 2020. Now I'm talking flying first class in Emirates one of these days. I have changed vastly where I want to go because I realized I can go so much farther than I ever thought. But I didn't know that until I took a risk to do it and that risk paid off and like opened the doors that now I'm kind of more open to that risk. Um I'm also, honestly, I'm in a good position where I can be very uh, aggressive. I'm not very risk averse right now because I don't have a whole lot to lose since I've got no debt. <laughs> I think that I love what you said about thinking out of the box. And I don't think that that's just like cookie cutter. I think that's a real thing because we have these constructs, we have these paradigms and these ways of thinking, and we end up working within those boxes. And what, what I love about you sharing here is you're giving people new ideas and somebody gave you that idea to start thinking out of the box and you're passing that on. So I really appreciate that. I was on your blog and I saw a really cool article that you wrote about the five reasons why you do locums. And I'm sure there's been some unexpected surprises, some benefits that you didn't count on, but you listed freedom, experience, compensation. One thing that you mentioned on there was community as well. The two that I wanted to ask you a little bit more about is what do you mean by that? What do you mean by freedom? How do you describe freedom? What has locums unlocked for you? And tell me a little bit more about the relationships and the community or the, you know, the, the people that you've met on your journeys? That's a great question, Simon. Um, so first of all, from a standpoint of freedom, 
I think what I mean is autonomy. I think with the idea of freedom was autonomy of making my own schedule. I had the freedom to um, take jobs I wanted to take and not do things I didn't want to do. I have, for the last several months now, been in a more um, stable part of training in a more established, traditional practice setting, have just listened to a lot of people um, daily uh, have frustrations on their schedule, on them being moved from one place to the next, of not having the control over some of those days off or days on, of uh, the fact that they have to balance things out to... Um, they have to fit their life into their job. I fit my job into my life. That's really good, by the way. I never thought, never said that before. But I think that sounds really good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that from the freedom standpoint, um, it was really nice. I got to go where I wanted to go. I got to do what I wanted to do. If I didn't want to work, I didn't have to work. Now, I'll tell you, I worked 22, 23 days a month. Um, and that was my choice. But I have a really good friend that does locums, and she works one week a month. She travels the other three weeks, you know, is either staying with her boyfriend or going to uh, other countries. I think she went to Peru uh, several months ago. And so it just was really nice to have that um, control over those kind of of administrative um, details. On top of that, I was honestly a little bit removed from the hospital administration um, issues. All of the BS of the nitty-gritty things of productivity that they forced on everyone else, they didn't quite apply to me being there. I would go into a job, I would do the job, and I would leave, and I didn't have to go to meetings. I didn't have to deal with, um, you know, making making the hospital work a certain way. I just had to do my work and take care of patients like I wanted to do. And everything else was really not my problem. Um, and so that was, that's, I guess, where I'd say on the freedom part of it. And then, sorry, your, your next uh, question, next question was on community. It was about connection. So you're moving around the U.S. like you basically a digital nomad for a while. And you're being put in these new communities, these new hospitals, these new cultures and you listed one of the five reasons why you enjoy locums is the connection. And I'm sure adventure could be part of this too, but tell me a little bit more about that. Tell me about the impact that you made it in maybe a moment where you really have felt like you've made a difference in somebody's life or maybe the community or the people that you've worked with. But talk a little bit about the connection that you've found through locums. I think this is really important and I cannot emphasize enough that the, connotations that people have towards locum tenens as being a job that is done by misfits or people that cannot hold a a stable job is really something that should be challenged and kind of revisited. It's different in practice and for the people that do it. So that being said, um, I was given the opportunity and my personality fit integrating into multiple different communities, um, integrating into multiple uh, different uh, groups of people all over the country, um, and also being able to give care to people in those areas. Um, And so I guess I'd say like, while people think that I would just go into a job and not care and leave, I went into a job giving 100% every time. And when you do that, it it is inevitably 
hard not to get attached to the people there. And if you put enough work into it and you're interested in those people, it also pays dividends back. So I can tell you, I mean, my first job uh, was in um, this town, Huntsville, Texas, about an hour north of Houston, where I did my training. Um, I'm still friends with a lot of the nurses that I worked with in the labor and delivery unit. Dr. Montgomery, the OBGYN, taught me how to do circumcisions there. It's a town of 22,000 people. And when I was there, I went to the same coffee shop for all those weekends, got to know them, and they gave me free coffee by the time I'd been there for a couple of months. I moved on and I went to a job in New Mexico where I was the only pediatrician for 60 miles. Still to this day, um, I talked to all my Filipino nurses back there that invited me out to uh, karaoke with them, of course, or to their house for, for food. Um, I remember when I was there, um, I diagnosed a kid that came to clinic with something called infantile spasms. It's a very bad neurologic um, uh, neurologic like declining condition. And I recognized it was concerned enough, sent them to a hospital an hour and a half away on a hunch that they had this condition. And I was uh, correct. And they came back and they were so grateful that I'd been there. And I, I wonder forever, if it had been someone else there, would they have caught it? And I'm not saying that I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm that great. And I, I there's a lot of things that, that I, that I, I might miss, but some reason I caught that. And, you know, in a deeper kind of meaning, I was the, you know, I was in the right place uh, at the right time for some sort of reason. And that worked out. And then, you know, other times <clears throat> I was in Wisconsin. And when I was in Wisconsin, uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, I worked with a neonatologist there that is still someone that I look to as a mentor. that's given me some ideas on research that I'm doing. Um, when I was in Maine, and I think Maine is probably the biggest state that I would talk about for all of this. When I was in Maine, I was at the same hospital in central Maine uh, for a year and a half. And I, I did that job uh, linked and um, kind of uh, bouncing between there and other places all over the country. But when I was at that job, I got to know the nurses and the, hosp the hospital pediatricians and the staff there so well. To this day, some of the family medicine residents that I worked with and trained still like will message me and say hi. Uh, I ran into some of the hospitalists that I worked with there uh, when I was at the American Academy Pediatric National uh, Convention. And literally earlier today, one of my nurses sent me a pic from, from Maine that I haven't seen in several months, sent me a picture of her kid and said, hey, my new baby had this happen. Like, what do you think's going on? So I think if you are allowing yourself to really give your all to a job, you can integrate into the society of the hospital, the community, um, and the entire area. And you have to be the person that wants to try to do that, but it can be very, um, it can be very rewarding. So, you know, at this point, I would say from the 10 States I was in, I've, I just, I have friends and all of them that I still keep in touch with. And I feel like I've been able to provide care to some of the kids in those uh, situations and families. And who, who's to say that maybe someone else that was there could have done the same thing. Maybe not. That's always the question. Um, I helped, um, you know, we had a baby that was delivered in Maine that had a spinal cord problem and we had to transfer that baby to the bigger hospital right away for surgery. 
And uh, it was unexpected for them to deliver at our hospital. It wasn't supposed to happen. They were supposed to deliver at the bigger hospital. But we were the closer hospital. They came to us first, hoping to get transferred before the baby was born. Her mom hoped to get transferred. But she didn't make it because uh, she started going into labor. So she delivered the baby. Um, my group and I had gotten to know each other so well, and we had never delivered a baby with this condition at that hospital. It has never been done. At least from what I know, it had never been done. And so we, we got together. I said, Deb, Kelly, look, we haven't done this before. Let's figure out how we're going to do this safely. Um, it's hard to describe all the details unless you're there, but long, uh, long story short, uh, for this kind of baby, uh, this kind of delivery, we had to have extra, uh, um, extra resources in the delivery room to make sure that the baby would stay safe and not get infected, things along those natures. And um, we were all kind of freaking out, but we had gotten to know each other so well, we knew how to function off of each other as a team. Uh, the baby was born, we wrapped the baby up uh, and wrapped up the, um, the spinal cord in the way that you're supposed to. And um, the kid, the baby got transferred to the bigger hospital, got surgery. And I think like a month or two later, the, the parents came back in and said, you know, that night I was so, we were so scared, but it was, um, we felt so much more calm uh, when you were there. Um, and I don't know, you know, like I said, if someone else could have been in the same situation, what would have happened? But um, I have taken each of those experiences um, and really uh, tried to cement them and ingrain them in myself as kind of the mosaic of who I am now. Um, all these uh, mixtures of different experiences, different people. And I do feel that that's like, for me, kind of a big community, big interconnected pool there. Um, so <laughs> not to be too trite, but I, I think that that's really, uh, I kind of feel um, what the contribution has been. That's a beautiful story. Uh, Trevor, I have one more question for you that I think is kind of a cool one. Another way that you've been able to use locums to your advantage. Uh, how did you travel hack going to Europe? Yeah, travel hacking, you know, and I'm a beginner at travel hacking, but there are a lot of cool things that I learned. Um, there are so many people that work on points now and you think about credit cards and these ways of doing all these big things that I'm still learning about, but started to really, uh, really focus on a lot more in the last couple of years. And so I think when I started, the big thing is that locum agencies, because they will reimburse you for a lot of things you pay for, it's a way of getting free points for things and not spending money to do it, so to speak. So um, in other words, a lot of my jobs, I stayed in Hilton's or I stayed in Marriott's. And so, of course, you have your Hilton honors, your Marriott uh, Bonvoy loyalty uh, you know, that you set up. And so I thought, hmm, what if I get a credit card that is a Hilton credit card that pays me 12 times the points every time I use it? And I pay for the hotel that I'm staying at, at the Hilton, but then I send that receipt to the agency and they reimburse me for the cost. Versus sometimes, you know, the agencies will just pay for it directly. And at the beginning, I let them do that because I didn't think about it. And then I, and I talked to one of my recruiters and said, wait a second, if no, if, Either way, the agency is going to pay for it. Is there a difference in them paying the money back to the hotel or just back to me? And he said, it doesn't make a difference. 
And so when I started to do that, I mean, let's say that I stayed at a Hilton for 10 days in a row and that stay itself worth like 10,000 points. Well, I also had a credit card that had a 12 times multiplier on it. I also, um, you know, would, would spend that card and those nights together would add up even more because just of the, just counting the nights I stayed there. And, um, then I would send the, uh, bills to the agencies, get reimbursed and I'd walk away with 50,000 Hilton points from whatever stay that was. And then when you think about the fact that I lived out of a suitcase for two and a half years and you multiply all those numbers out, I mean, I probably spent around 600 nights in hotels in the last couple of years. Some people think that that's like a little bit insane, but I stayed in a lot of extended stays. So the hot, the hotel I stayed in in Maine, I mean, I had a little kitchen, I had a little stovetop um, that I could use to cook with. And I mean, I made lobster risotto in a hotel. So I did okay as far as still uh, enjoying what I like to do from eating standpoints because I'm a big foodie. But also, I accumulated after a couple years something like three and a half million Hilton points. Um, and if you think about the average stay for um, a good place, maybe 40,000, 50,000 Hilton points, I mean, I'm going into the details for you because, yes, I mean, when you, when you do, those, do that math, it ends up being um, a lot of free time. So um, when I uh, decided to go back to fellowship, I took a whole month off and said, I'm going to go to Europe. I've accumulated all of these points. Oh, and you know what? If I didn't have a credit card attached to the hotel, let's say it was a car rental. Well, I'd pay for that with my Chase Sapphire or my American Express. And that's how I would get points to pay for flights on top of it. So, you know, I, I got like, um, I would get one of the, the Chase Sapphire card. I hit the opening bonus for it um, because you had to spend a, a certain amount of money in a certain amount of time. Um, and then all of a sudden I had like 70,000 Chase points and figured, okay, well, I guess I'll pay for my flight to Europe. And, you know, just for kicks, uh, I guess I can fly first class back from Europe and just use the points. And so I did that. And so I went to Europe for 30 days, um, fully funded on the points. And I stayed in some nice like nice hotels all over. I was not doing this as a 20-year-old that's staying at a $5 hostel. Not anymore, right? I mean, it was it was pretty it was pretty cool. I was in Amsterdam, I was in Paris, Porto, Portugal. I went to three different places in Spain, including the coast of Malaga and Barcelona. I ended with London, and then I took a, like a flight back. And when I did the math, I, I think that I, I most likely, uh, if I had paid cash, probably would have spent around $10,000 on the hotels. And that was saved by these points. Um, and so I, I would say, like I, I think from a travel hacking standpoint, to really just make that a very salient, more summarized point, um, I take advantage of credit cards and opening bonuses. I take advantage of stacking uh, points and um, and uh, uh, like multipliers of credit cards and um, really paying attention to the deals, and then also the ability to understand the transferring uh, the, the the way that points can transfer from a credit card to an airline or from one airline to another, which is a whole other deeper conversation. But those are things that I started to look into, um, and. 
because you you said the words travel hack, I will give you an actual travel hack that I think is very important uh, as a side note. So that's my my trip in Europe. But as a total side note, after traveling so much, I learned this and I had to use this trick a couple of weeks ago, actually. But um, for anybody listening to this, or you know, maybe for yourself too, if this ever happens, every now and then, if you um, are flying into some flying into a city that is uh, very busy, uh, the weather's really bad. For example, which is what happened to me when I came to Kansas City back after Thanksgiving, I got to the airport and I was unable to find an Uber or a Lyft for under a hundred dollars. Usually, it's like twenty bucks. And the reason is that when you go to the airport, um, people don't always know this, but for all these ride shares like Uber and Lyft or anything else, they always have to pay some sort of fee to the airport for the ride share to go there to pick someone up. So they're always able to charge more. And so uh, a little travel hack that I've used a couple times is I get to the airport, I'll get on a free shuttle to any of the local hotels. I mean, they don't always ask you, but if you call the Uber or you call the rideshare from the hotel and not the airport, it's cheaper all the time. <laughs> and it's also easy. Yeah, it's also easier to get a ride. So when this happened to me a couple of weeks ago, there was actually, uh, I think, people waiting outside for an hour at the airport trying to get a ride and the uh, apps just weren't picking anything up. I went to, uh, I took a, a shuttle to like the local Marriott and immediately got a ride. But anyways. That's brilliant. So love it. well, thank you for sharing that story. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's off topic, but no, I love it. Um, I could go on forever, but I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, any last words to somebody who is listening to this podcast and they've had thoughts about doing locums? They're overworked. They're working 60, 70 hours, but they're not quite sure. Any last words of advice? I think some of the most important things to think about for anybody that is going into medicine is um, really why did you go into medicine and to remember why you did that. And when you think of those things and what makes you happy to focus on those things um, to really keep you along the right path. But then also, once you figured all that out, realize that you can balance the rest of your life and you can have a life that can incorporate your job into it versus um, the other way around. So I think my biggest point of advice for anybody that's interested or curious about locum tenens, anybody that's burnt out, anybody that's looking for a change, something to make their life more um, interesting or to diversify their uh, portfolio or their scope of practice or to widen and broaden their experience, you should take the jump and look into and just um, take the jump and do it. Um, that's the biggest, the biggest advice I would say is, uh, anybody that has asked me about locum tenens, I always just say, do it. It is simple. And that's really, I have no regrets about, um, anything I've done. Um, it has been a world, um, that I never thought existed. It has changed my life and it can change yours. Mm, thank you so much for sharing that. I love how you went to, on a trip to Europe before your fellowship. That's just just like the big bow on everything. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us and your experiences and also telling us about the lives that you've made an impact in. Uh, for the audience, I would love it if you would follow his blog. It is thenomadicpediatrician.com. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Please share that with any of your colleagues. It is 
inspiring and just fun, fun journey, fun to follow his journey. 